0: housekeeping rules for today's session. Uh, this session is recorded and keep your microphone on mute mode during the session if you are not on listen only mode. And um, you may post your questions at the public chat so you can see on your screen, on your left side of the screen. And if you're not comfortable to post your questions in the public chat, you may um, message the organizer to address you know, the questions during the Q&A. And your feedback is important to us we will send an email after this session for the survey. Last, uh, but not the least, please bear with us in the event of any technical issues during the session. So without further ado, I would like to welcome our moderator for today's session, Mr. Andy Lian, he is the chairman of Decent Foundation. Over to you, Andy.
1: Hi, 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 Jen. Can you guys hear me? Just to make sure. All right, so- Yep, we can hear you. Great. So a, a quick introduction about myself. Uh, I'm, I'm Andy Lian. I'm uh, the chairperson of uh, Descent Foundation based in Switzerland. Um, apart from uh, the work with uh, Descent, I work alongside with um, a government. So my last uh, my last uh, work was with an international organization called the Asian Productivity Organization. I'm the only blockchain advisor within the group, and we have been giving very sound and practical blockchain adoption advice to uh, 22 countries um during my during my free time you know i i also like to look at politics you know spend time on uh, esports and look at upcoming trends you know? so that's also how i got myself into the uh, blockchain space so today you know while we look at the um the, the technology and how this COVID 19 has um has affected us. You know, I I need to say that the the COVID-19 crisis has revealed a lack of connectivity and data exchange built in our global supply chain and our very much daily life. So our future depends on building a more transparent and connected network together. And this is how we see blockchain come into place. Um, So blockchain technology has grown a lot in the last three years. And we see that the ASEAN block uh, will be a very big powerhouse in this uh, situation. You know, We will create uh, transparency and uh, fairness and saving a lot of uh, business time and money using the technology. So today, um, we have uh, three speakers in, in the house. First, let me introduce them. Um, uh, Prakash, CEO of uh, RHT fintech holdings. He will be talking about tokenization of real estate. A bit of background about Prakash, he's the founding partner, founding member of RHT Law Asia, and RHT group of companies. He has over 20 years of experience in managing professional services firms, including top law firms in Singapore, with regional and global focus. His responsibilities include the strategic alignment of business groups and their subsidiaries, and the development of an ecosystem of professional business services, serving clients from diverse industries through every stage of their business life cycle. In addition, he also manages the growth, development, restructuring of their regional expansion in business for the corporate finance, advisory, governance, compliance, risk management, communications and public relations, and of course, the fintech platforms covering digital assets and tokenization of uh, of blockchain. The second speaker will be uh, Tan Chung-Huat. Chung-Huat is a senior partner of RHT Law Asia LLP. He will talk about the blockchain regulation framework. Chung-Huat is the senior partner and like I mentioned, he is also um, one of the founding members of RHT Law Asia and the, the non executive chairman of RHT Group of Companies. His role as non executive director and deputy chairman of uh, SDAX is to provide strategic advice on their growth and business. Chunghua has been involved in sectors such as uh, fintech, training, learning, and development consulting, and advisory on wealth and asset management. He has extensive experience in corporate, bank, corporate banking and project finance law in Singapore and the region. He acted in numerous significant corporate transactions in the area of IPOs, RTOs, MBOs, restructuring, M&A, and financing of major real estate and infrastructure. Last but not least, uh, we have Dominic. He's the CT- CTO of uh, Sindex, SDAX. He will be joining the panel later on to talk about the future trends and what we should look look out for. So let us welcome our first speaker, uh, Prakash, CEO of RXT FinTech Holding Private Limited. Prakash, over to
0: you. Thank you, Andy. Uh, Very good morning to everyone who is uh, dialed in. I expect a few more to be coming in, judging by the original list that was sent out. Uh, But nonetheless, it's indeed indeed encouraging to see so many of you uh, who have shown interest in the blockchain and its its impact on real estate market. But before I begin, I would just like to conduct a quick poll on the subject matter, Let me just get the poll started. Now the first one is a yes or no answer. There we are. The first question I have is how many of you are presently working on blockchain projects in your respective organizations? So, we can just get everyone to quickly answer that question. Jaji. Okay. So, fairly large number have responded now let me just publish. Give me just two seconds to get all the final tallies in, and I'll publish that in full. All right, and this is it. You can see from your screen, I believe, thirty-seven percent have said yes, and sixty-three percent have said no. Now let's. Uh, I, I need to poll that thirty-seven percent of people who said yes is uh, if you are involved in a blockchain project, can you tell us specific to which area? A, real estate market, B, other asset class, or C, other services or product? It can be now or in the near future. Let me just go back to cool and I will just, there we are. Okay, so there's only one who is actively involved in uh, a real blockchain project. Okay, good, good. I mean, it's good to, good to find out and then good to have a, a sense of, of the audience. All right, let me just publish that. and um, okay. All right, so we're good to go. Now, the first thing on most people's minds when you mention blockchain will most certainly be Bitcoin, which traces its roots to circa 2008 when the phenomena first started. Bitcoin is seen as a freely traded independent currency. Why is it that Bitcoin is a hit? It's because people saw transparency and security and put trust in technology and algorithms over individuals or governments. And that, that basically the governments who control mainstream currencies. Now, let us take a step back and look at the horizons of network innovation. The first horizon was the innovation of the internet, which is the backbone of communications as we know it. Tying together computers to operate in a peer-to-peer sort of an environment. The second horizon of network innovation was the world of the World Wide Web, put more accessible user interface on top of that internet than know. Then over the last decade, the third innovation of cloud computing emerged, where we could now deal with large amount of data. And soon after that emerged the fourth innovation which is mobile internet and IoT, internet of things, that put a large amount of control over many things in the palm of our hands. Now, we see the fifth horizon of network innovation, which is to build digital trust through blockchain technology. And we expect this to bring about major changes in a lot of what we are used to. Blockchain technology is being applied to deliver new products and services, enhancing trust in both record-keeping and financial transactions. We are already seeing mass adoptions across supply chain, logistics, identity management, and the list goes on. Closer to home, we have seen MAS, Tomasek, JP Morgan develop a blockchain prototype for multi-currency payment. Then there was the blockchain cross-border trial between MAS and the Bank of Canada, a trade finance platform by DBS, and of course the marquee project OBIN, which is a a collaborative project between initiated by MAS with industry players to basically explore the use of blockchain and distributed ledger technology for clearing and settlement of payment and securities. In the current real estate technology world, a digital security or securities token issued on a blockchain or what is termed as tokenization can be used to mean fractionalization of rights to a single or a portfolio of properties, of course, subject to traditional security laws. The ownership is verified and recorded on a distributed ledger. Through property-specific tokens, issuers are now able to provide access to their asset information, create different classes within each type of token, hard-code waterfall payments, providing both a layer of transparency, at creation, and at the same time, compliance and verification upon making each payment. Now, the global estate market is valued at more than 200 trillion U.S. dollars. Most debt fundraising is done through traditional bank borrowings and issuance of corporate bonds. Equity is mostly owned by institutional investors, either directly through pension funds or in specialized vehicles like private equity funds. Traditionally, there have always been difficulties for real estate developers to obtain loans for the purposes of residential or commercial development, and also to manage their cash flows. A project cost can be millions of dollars, and 60 to 70% of the total capital is usually funded through bank loans, and the balance will be through other forms of debt, corporate bonds, and equity raise. Real estate as an asset class has traditionally been transacted through private markets. Now, REIT, REITs cover a percentage of the overall underlying real estate market. There are many more opportunities we feel out there that are harder to access. Single asset real estate companies looking to raise capital, real estate funds seeking tokenization to can access these by reducing barriers and friction faced by investors in traditional real estate markets. Tokenization also brings much-needed liquidity and transparency to a traditional opaque industry. The ability to trade shares in real estate, in real assets, in real time, the same way Uh, public companies are traded in stock markets, should attract more investor attention and unlock the potential for more ambitious and unique real estate developments. Of course, investors can already buy and sell real estate uh, trusts, but these often have high minimum investment and represent a large portfolio of companies rather than single property or a new developer. The tokenization of real estate is giving investors and owners alike the freedom to raise, invest, capital, how they choose. Tokenization will also impact other illiquid assets um, like private equity or venture capital. Now here we have an example of a tokenized project. The Aspen coins are tokens which represent the fractional equity ownership of the San Regis Aspen Resort in Colorado. The tokens or digital assets were sold to investors through a security token offering or what we call STO. This was originally promoted by a crowdfunding business, Indiegogo, and issued by a blockchain powered fintech firm, Templum. Templum are broker dealers, and through a SEC compliant platform, they did a fundraise of 16 million euros. This was the first ever cited real estate security tokenization, which has led to many other projects taking the same path. Now we have, if you we were to look at list of some of the projects that have been tokenized. You will note that the types include single assets in the case of the San Regis, Aspen, Colorado, and also debt and fund tokenization. This data was published at the beginning of this year by Oxford University together with CBRE. This is regarded as a provisional description of a nascent market. Blockchain technology and security tokens with smart contracts will certainly. I dropped the slide here. Hold on a second. There There we are. Okay. Sorry about that. Blockchain technology and securitized tokens with smart contracts will certainly be a game changer. It is now possible to fractionalize assets and offer investors economic benefits such as revenue or profit sharing, dividends in the case of an equity token issuance, interest or coupon payments for debt token issuance, and even legal titles attached to such assets. Innovation is particularly relevant to the property owners who can now tokenize single units of their properties with or without rent in fractions to attract more investors. They can also issue STOs against a portion rather than the whole of a building to raise debt to finance new projects. Owners of large mixed residential or commercial developments can issue hybrid STOs attached with utility benefits that can help generate economic activities within that development. Blockchain real estate market would help with creating new business models of connecting potential buyers and sellers. For example, it is easy to envision how properties of all kinds could be liquefied, tokenized, and traded, much like stocks on an exchange. This blockchain will also positively affect transaction times as property sellers find they can sell fractions of shares on a particular property, as opposed to having to search for a single buyer. It is also more than likely that the whole real estate industry will benefit from this shift by lowering the barrier of entry to real estate investment. New definitions of property ownership and rental contracts will arise from this shift in the real estate business. The user-friendly automation of all relevant processes and documentation on a decentralized blockchain real estate platform could also help by cutting out additional inspection costs, registration, loan fees, as well as property taxes, all enforced by quantifiable smart contracts. Combined with new models of flat ownership that could potentially span the global market. Decentralized payment projects could be used to facilitate low cost, high speed transnational micropayments, which would distribute the payment among all stakeholders concerned. Within the context of payments, introduction of smart contracts into blockchain real estate ledgers and transactions has clear potential in streamlining various real estate processes, such as releasing apartment ownership, uh, rental documents upon completion of a cryptographic payment transfer, or settlement process. The benefits of this aspect of blockchain use cases when applied to real estate are already being recognized by a variety of private institutions, government bodies, and some of which I've cited in some of the earlier examples I gave. Another interesting concept is what we call decentralized financing or DeFi. DeFi is a rapidly growing movement which aims to basically revolutionize existing financial services by creating decentralized applications. The existing centralized nature of finance industry has enabled a few powerful intermediaries to position themselves in the middle of a system and extract rents from other participants. It is clearly an oligopolistic structure that has stifled competition, decreased efficiency and increased the cost of financial services. I would like to draw your attention to a Business Times article published on the 19th of June this year. The author recognized that there is a sizable and growing house stack with significant potential for ASEAN markets to scrutinize, so sorry, to securitize residential property ownership and for Singapore to take market leadership. Innovation through new technology, decentralized financing would deliver efficiency gains and cost savings by enabling direct peer-to-peer transactions. Other Major markets are already embracing decentralized financing, digital assets, and disruption of the real estate market as well. This is is what happens. Switzerland's leading stock exchange, SIX Exchange, has invested in an institutional trading platform with plans to use it as a gateway into digital asset space. London-based IPSX in January 2019 achieved recognized investment exchange status and became the world's first regulated securities exchange dedicated to the initial public offering and secondary market trading of companies owning single and multiple institutional grade real estate assets. Here we have a simple illustration of a primary issuance using smart contracts. The issuer will have to upload documents including assets to be listed, contracts, investment memo, and other such documents to the smart contract. The investor makes the decision to proceed with the investment. The smart contract will forward the proceeds, whether in fiat or currency, on behalf of the investor to the issuer. And in return, receives. Two. There will definitely be legal contracts binding this transaction as uh, as part of the process. Token issuance can be done using blockchain based Ethereum or ERC protocols. This is one of the most commonly used protocol layers. The use of stable coins like TUSD will mitigate exchange losses. Here we attempt to lower cost of issuance by removing traditional intermediary processes. The issuer's obligations are programmed into smart contracts, and more importantly, the reduction in time taken to raise funds. That is one of the key considerations. Let me now provide you with an example of how we envisage secondary trading of tokenized assets. To start with, there will be the setting up of an account. Investors signing up will be required to provide and upload relevant documents for KYC and AML compliance, something that we all are familiar with. A new account with an e-wallet will be created in the database, and at the same time, the token ledger is updated. For token sale or trade, or the change of token owners, when the existing token holder wishes to sell the tokens, and or a new buyer wishes to buy the tokens, the exchange will invoke a token transfer. When there is a match on both the buyer and the seller, the token transfer will be carried out where the buyer will receive the tokens and the seller will receive the payments, whether in cryptocurrency or in real fiat currency. In the meantime, the token ledgers are accessed And updated accordingly to reflect these changes. We believe that for a secondary market to be effective, there must be continuous trading 24 7, lowering costs of security servicing, rapid settlement and clearing, liquidity premium, immutable or immutable ledger of ownership and transaction history, smart contracts that allow for programmatic. Pro, pro, prog- programmatic regulatory compliance, robust market surveillance, and of course, a very very strong cybersecurity protection layer. Now, if you look at the at the chart that is on the screen, now, the global market volume for asset tokenization is expected to reach twenty four trillion by the year twenty twenty seven. And this is from uh, US 0.5 trillion in 2019, and implying a cargo of easily 62%. In respect of global real estate market, despite the recent volatility, global construction output is expected to reach US 12 trillion by 2025. And this is from a uh, US 8.7 trillion in 2012. This prompted largely by booming middle-class urban population in Asia, Africa, as well as in South America. Between 2010 and 2020, it is expected that more than 1 billion additional middle-class consumers will surface globally. With this positive long-term outlook for global, global real estate market, there are opportunities in the growth of the industry with the introduction of tokenization to facilitate more efficient fundraising for asset owners in their construction and expansion plans. Singapore of course has been the leading fintech hub in Southeast Asia, and is also aiming to become the same for blockchain innovation. There are numerous players incorporating blockchain technology in trading financial services, insurance, as well as digital products in Singapore. Asset tokenization is looking as a good prospect. Singapore Infocom Media Development Authority, IMDA, released a blockchain landscape map in 2019, and it showcased the categorized, and it basically showcased and categorized the blockchain startup scene into sectors across industries. Singapore's government is driving and promoting the use of blockchain innovation and adoption through its initiatives and is expected to ramp up such efforts in the next few years. We are given together that they are even using blockchain to do identity management, which is something which is going to be really big in the Singapore market. The Monetary Authority of Singapore has said that The record-breaking investment, as you can see from the the graph, is a sign that investors recognize the potential of Singapore's fintech ecosystem and the outlook for digital financial services, not just in Singapore, but also in Southeast Asia. Singapore is taking the market leadership role as it has currently the largest read market in Asia, ex-Japan with 44 REITs and property trusts and a total market cap of around Singapore dollars, 94 billion. Singapore has shifted from being a predominantly local REIT market to a global listing hub, where most of Singapore REITs have diversified into international property portfolios. REITs have approximately 80% of their properties outside of Singapore but they have the lowest volatility and amongst the highest returns in the region. SREITs are expected to gain more traction in the years to come, mainly supported by global asset portfolio, clear rules and incentives of the Singapore's regulated environment. And this is very crucial. REITs in their continued quest to acquire new assets will also be looking to funding these new acquisitions and tokenization, we believe, will certainly be a key consideration, especially with costs and time taken to raise these funds. In conclusion, it is important that we recognize the framework set up for support to support fintech companies who will play a major role in providing the technology solutions. An example of this would be a blockchain-based digital asset exchange and there will be many to come for the issuance, of, issuance and trading of real estate and other asset-backed tokens or asset-backed securities to help asset owners with an alternative source of fundraising. We also need to acknowledge our stringent regulatory framework to support this innovation so that Singapore continues to be a highly regarded for its governance and compliance. With the above strong fundamentals in place, Singapore, as a financial hub that embraces innovation with a robust and balanced regulatory environment, will continue to attract strong market participants, including global investors and asset owners. With that, I wish to thank you for your patience, and I hope you enjoyed yourself and enjoyed this session. Thank you very much.
2: You are now unmuted.
1: Thank you, thank you, Prakash. Next, uh, we have uh, Mr. Tan Chong Huat. You will talk about the uh, blockchain uh, regulatory framework. Chonghua, over to you. There could be a small technical issue, so please uh, hold on for a
2: while. Hi Andy.
1: Hi. Hi John Wan. Hi.
2: Is it my turn to start?
1: Yes, it's your turn, Chowat.
2: Sorry, okay. I went to the restroom.
1: <laughs> no problem, no problem. Hi. You, you may proceed. Good
2: morning, I'm Tom right. Why? Thank thank you, Andy. You are now muted. Hi, like uh, Prakash, I would also like to start with a poll. So, the first question I have for you really is Do you think blockchain will replace the internet? The poll results are still coming in, so just bear with me. Okay, you, you could see the results there, and I think the majority of us got it right. Uh, I just want to explain that uh, blockchain writes on the internet, so it does not uh, replace the internet. What I think, if you if you can summarize uh, what blockchain is, I think blockchain will represent the golden age of internet, where, where because of the application, of blockchain, the data that is on the internet will be more efficiently, better, secured, trusted, you know, uh, and, and then be deployed properly. So so it's actually the, it will not replace the internet. It, it represents the golden age of internet. The next question I want to pull is, the blockchain is about storage and transfer of data so again uh, it's a yes or no. Okay, I must admit that this is actually a red herring, okay? In the sense that blockchain is not only about storage and transfer of data. What is even more interesting is that blockchain is able to allow the management of software application so that you can actually give instructions for what I call autonomous execution of the obligation that parties agree to under the smart contracts. So you're not not wrong to say, uh, yes, okay. But those that say no, I think uh, you are. You've listened to Prakash carefully. There is a smart contract application uh, in the latest development of blockchain. So my third my third question, which I'm polling, I'm polling, will be. Blockchain cannot be regulated due to its transnational and, and anonymous nature. Sorry, the poll results early on was very close. It was 50-50. So again, um, the poll is uh, yes or no? I just published the poll results. I'm not sure whether how many how many in the audience are lawyers here. All right, I would want to present to you later that um, yes, blockchain uh, can be regulated, um, not regulated completely maybe, but it can be regulated, and I'll share with you what's the framework and what are the modes to be to be considered. I now take the, the second-last question to poll. Uh, blockchain should be banned as it supports criminal activities. Again, yes or no? So I would say that many of us here can be regulators. And I think it's this mindset that we have seen regulators uh, adopt um, in recently, because initially some of the reaction really is to ban certain activities that that is related to are related to blockchain like Bitcoin. But I think um, the regulatory mindset um, has been enlightened and are still um, evolving. I now poll the last question, which is, blockchain enables machine to machine execution without people input. So, again, it's a yes or no. Okay, so the results uh, has been published. Uh, My submission to you is that blockchain does enable machine-to-machine execution without human input. What it means is that once you have put it on the blockchain, you put it on a smart contract, the smart contract can autonomously execute so long as certain conditions are satisfied. So once you give that instruction, machine to machine can be connected and you you can actually execute without human input so thank you for your patience I will now get on to the uh, presentation today so very quickly what what are the characteristics of blockchain I would like to cover the characteristics of blockchain then I then then to go then to then progress to talk about uh, the regulation so that everything will fall in place. So one of the one of one one of the key features of blockchain is about this intermediation. So the key thing about blockchain is is actually supported by a peer to peer network. It is supported by different people working together based on consensus without reference to a central authority. So this this intermediation creates this departure right now that we see in our, our daily uh, habits and our mindset. One example would be in a lot of our transaction, there is a central authority or there is an agent. So one example is if you go to eBay, right? When you want to buy and sell something, you go to eBay, eBay is the agent. If you want to collect your personal particulars in a way or affirm it, you need to go to a, see your land titles, for example. You go to the, the land titles uh, agency to get a confirmation. Blockchain takes away all this. The next thing is about resiliency and temper resistance. Because of the nature of uh, blockchain, which is, which is, a uh, Information that is um, um, verified and and um, audited by a group of people working on it. So to change any information, you require the same the same people to to consent, right? So therefore, it's hard to tamper, and because of the block of information, it is resilient, and. All this also gives it transparency and then it's difficult to repudiate because the information is there, is viewed by all your peers in the computer network. So it, together, together, these are the key features of blockchain that we will talk more later. The other thing really about blockchain is that there's pseudo not uh, pseudo anonymity in a sense that you can actually Transact without reviewing your identity. The next thing is consensus, which I've already mentioned. The consensus of the peer group, the consensus of doing things together. So, can you imagine if you want to change something that has got a peer group? You literally have to mount a takeover of the group of people, or even change the underlying protocol so that you can you can you can change. Uh, whatever that's on the blockchain. And lastly, on uh, autonomy is what I raised earlier in relation to smart contract, because once you put a smart contract onto the blockchain, it will execute and it will be autonomous. So with this, i move on to the next slide on the application of uh, blockchain. Um, I'll do this quickly, but I just want to let... uh, Everyone here know that uh, the application of, of blockchain is now widespread. It took a while, but in the last two years, it has taken off. So, in the areas that um, I've listed here, you can see um, you really see a lot of adoption of blockchain. So, finances uh, you've seen payments. Uh, banks have taken on license to become digital banks. Banks are very uh, intrigued with uh, with payments because of the, the capabilities of blockchain. So you can see uh, banks adopting blockchain to do uh, remittance. And remittance today can be done just between computer, press of a button, you eliminate the middleman, you save a lot of money. Um, you also heard from Prakash about trade finance. EBS has signed on as the first local bank for the contour trade finance that. It is a blockchain that issues uh, LCs, validates LC. So it's, it's a new way of finance, um, trade and commerce. Um, you with blockchain, you can actually go down to the provenance of the goods, where they, where they come from, what is the what is the sub- supply ch- what is the supply chain in terms of the the, the transport arrangement, the labour. And then, you can also look at sustainably issues like emission, even corruption. So, so it's it's the whole whole um, whole chain that that can be monitored and could be surveilled by by blockchain. Healthcare, healthcare is something that's very important. It's about storing information, especially medical information, in a secure secured way and in a way that can be shared very quickly because you might need this information urgently you know about some of the leaks in the public healthcare sector with blockchain because of the because of the encrypted nature of the information that are verified um, it gives a, a better sense of security in public service we can talk about voting. We can talk about procurement um, and even public benefits. So these are things that blockchain can be applied. And one of one of the main things that blockchain will be very good at will be for contractual obligations or outcome that you want to see that are really very objective, very strict, and very narrow. So that's really a good application uh, frame parameter for suitability of applying blockchain. Now, the need to regulate blockchain really is because of the dual nature of blockchain. In as much as blockchain is efficient, it's, um, it's transparent, but The fact that it is decentralized also means that it can work outside of the central authorities. The fact that blockchain is disintermediated also means that all the values and virtues of blockchain can also be applied towards criminal activities. So the good and the bad of, of blockchain. Likewise, because blockchain is global in nature, because of the nature of the peer-to-peer network, it's difficult to, it's difficult to uh, any blockchain that is already in the system. It's difficult to change the underlying protocol And because of its widespread application, governments and governments in the world are thinking of ways in which to embrace the technology. And to embrace it, you must learn to regulate the technology. And now I come to the regulatory framework that that um, I would advocate. And um, the first. The first one is rather simple for those that are legally trained or compliance trained. It's a difference between principles and rules-based regulation. An example would be, if you go for principles-based regulation, you would mean that you would just say that you should not steal from your client's account. That would be based on a principle. And then you take action towards that principle in relation to the way you regulate. Rules-based would be you set out clear rules to say when, why, how you should not touch the client's account and you put roadblocks or put uh, tripwires or prohibitions when you approach the client's account. So that's principles, that's rules-based. In between these two, rules base will be clearer for execution because uh, it will be codified or you, the, the rules will be listed so it's easier to see and understand and in a way you will be just ticking off the boxes but what it means really is then there will be many rules to comply with that you have to look at and the ticking of the, the box method in looking at something may miss out what is more fundamentally important? In other words, you fail to see the substance of the transaction. Rather, you you stick to the the rules or the letters uh, uh, of of the regulation, which may not serve the objective behind the the regulation. So principles-based framework would be better because once you understand principles, it's easier to apply your regulation. But more importantly is In a new technology that is novel, that is evolving, principles-based will be much suited because then you can accommodate, you can adjust, and you can react to those changes and the adjustments that you you need to make. I next want to share with you the Oxford Blockchain Regulatory Framework. So this framework is developed by, by Oxford And if you can see the way they have approached the regulatory framework is, number one, it's a focus on outcome. When you focus on outcome, you actually will be looking at the main objective of your regulation and then you then then set a test against it. And then you then see whether the results are aligned with the test and the outcome that you are seeking the next the next mindset about regulation here is about protecting all stakeholders so blockchain being a democratic uh, network or system or technology should should rightfully protect all stakeholders, and in that protection of all stakeholders, the trust element in the technology is enhanced. So, when you come to the regulatory bit bit of the of the block of blockchain networks, regulators with this mindset will take a more proactive view and uh, response, and even approach to address the concerns of all stakeholders and not just any primary market participant. Next is about uh, fostering trust. I think the whole blockchain um, technology foster trust in itself. The regulatory framework, likewise, should mirror the effect of uh, of blockchain. So it's important to have agreed principles in the way that that, uh, the stakeholders will be actively involved and the rules when they're engaged in, in, in those activities. Last uh, then then balance uh, competition. Balance competition looks at really about supporting multiple competing parties with the concept of fairness. So one good example will be the digital license, banking license, given to the given to uh, aspiring companies applying for for the banking license in Singapore. So what it means is that I think with technology. Um, the the big the big boys in Singapore the the big banks in Singapore they of course would want to protect their 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 business but I think with digital banking uh, trying them out despite the fact that there are risks involved uh, gives Singapore a better play in terms of banking leveraging on fintech and leveraging on blockchain. Lastly, it's about promoting innovation. So. The the, the the framework for promoting innovation has come to a stage whereby you've heard this concept of a sandbox. So regulators in the world, uh, most of them would consider renovation as key, mm-hmm. and they provide a sandbox for evolving technology to have this playing, have this playground with limited parameters for them to progress their technology. And once the technology is progressed to a state that the regulators feel that it's safe, is good, is secure, is good to go in terms of security risk, operational risk, management risk. Then, this businesses or this blockchain uh, um, players would be allowed to to go to the market. So, this is the the Oxford blockchain regulatory framework. Just give me a minute, yeah. Okay, I go back to the the slide because I have not spoken about the modes of regulations. So, regulators have many uh, many ways of uh, regulating uh, blockchain. Really, so there are when we look at regulation, we should look at legislation, as in law, we look at social norms, we look at market forces, and we look at architecture. So, if you look at a whole blockchain ecosystem, you, you will realize that uh, there are a lot of stakeholders, and we can start with the end users, and then we have the ISP providers, who are in charge of the transportation uh, layer. Then we also have the information intermediaries, the search engine, the social networks. Then we also have the specific intermediaries like people that provide custodial services, e-wallets, and also the the digital asset exchanges. So this this group of people will, will work in their own spheres and... Even though, even though um, blockchain is transnational, each of these intermediaries or stakeholders they have to operate in a in a country, or if not, they will have to operate under certain conditions. For example, you, if you are ISP operator, there are certain rules that will that will apply to you, and if you are. Uh, a custodial agent, there will be certain rules that will be applied to you. So by looking at the regulatory framework in a wider sense to encompass the stakeholders, you can actually regulate uh, the blockchain ecosystem. The other thing really is also about regulating codes and architecture. I think um, there have been instances where regulators will approach a certain... uh, blockchain uh, network and to look at the underlying protocol and even in the underlying um, smart contract. And what what they do really is that they call this the government backdoor. In other words, they want a fail-safe switch where they can say that if this is not working, I would like to actually employ that, that switch. So, there are many many uh, ammunition that uh, a regulate regulator uh, can can apply. Lastly, and most importantly, is really, it's about regulating the blockchain markets. So the market for blockchain, and, it, and so far, we have heard from uh, Prakash myself and other um, um, other commentators on blockchain. Uh, you will realize that blockchain is actually inspired or motivated by an economic activity. So there is always this thing about cost, results, benefits, gains, and even in the protocol itself, the protocol has this thing called proof of work whereby you, you contribute towards the protocol and then you are paid by way of an Ethereum or a Bitcoin. So, there are many ways in which a regulator can make the cost a bit more expensive, legislate on certain things, and then enforce conduct. So one of the things that you can use is to impose taxes, um, say on gains by trading of Bitcoins or trading of Ethereum. So at a, on the market front, um, this is what the, what the authorities can do. And I'll move on to talk about legal considerations. So, largely, we break them into uh, these three types and then we discuss the law behind these three types. The first first item is uh, digital assets. So, when you encode the asset, it will become a digital asset. Or when you tokenize the asset, you can call it a digital asset. So, in the traditional names that we know them, we talk about shares, we talk about bonds, we talk about uh, art pieces, jewelry, real estate, all these can be tokenized. And once tokenized, they become digital assets. And once in that form, what will not change is the nature of the asset. So if the asset is still a share, it's still a bond, they will still be considered as securities. So this will be a very good guideline for us to know then to apply the relevant law for each of these digital assets. We know that in Singapore and in many countries, if you are dealing in securities, there will be a different set of rules. And the general rules will be you need to have a prospectus you need to register that prospectus you have rules that it will be under the the national law that you need to comply because you'll be seen to be offering these securities and if you are offering these securities uh, in the nature of being uh, in the uh, offering the service as a consultant, a banker so there are rules to apply as well and insofar as the Prospectors are concerned. There will be certain requirements of disclosures. So these are the rules that will apply in that context The next thing about about blockchain digital uh, digital assets will be digital currency. So what is happening around the world right now is a sudden increase in uh, activities in In uh, in governments and central banks, looking at issuing their own digital currency. Um, in China, for example, the DCEP is already uh, in uh, in test phase, and it's uh, in various uh, provinces. They are already uh, at trial stage. Um, The main reason for the issue of digital currency, um, apart from the fact that um, uh, it is, is, um, to to be very clear, this digital currency, if it's backed by the central bank, they are backed by their their reserves, as opposed to digital currency uh, that are are not backed by the central bank. in China, for example, one of the motivation to do a digital currency or DCeP for the country is actually to prevent the shadow banking in the country from getting out of hand by doing by managing the money supply by way of a digital currency that is that can be audited. the The shadow banking, uh, in China can be can be uh, better monitored and even managed. So that's the one of the motivation for digital uh, currency. Um, then there's also digital tokens. Digital tokens would be basically assets that are digital, digitized in the form of tokens. So a digital token can represent entitlements in the form of rights uh, whether it's shareholding right property rights or right to a dividend payment tokens will be tokens that are that are used for payment and in relation to the in relation to the uh, to the regulatory space reg- regulation is very concerned with digital tokens that are security in nature. Regulation is also concerned about people creating and issuing digital payment tokens that are not related for payment purposes. So you have a whole suite of uh, digital payment tokens now that can be traded over crypto exchanges. And lastly, I touch on smart contracts. So if you take, take, if you take a snapshot of uh, what the smart contracts are, um, they are basically just quotes, and these uh, are they are codes that are programmed into a language um, and supported by algorithm. As opposed to the legal contracts that we know, the big difference between the two really is that, in smart contracts, they are devoid of the language or the way legal contracts are being drafted. So legal contract basically are, are, are drafted by way of languages. And this is in the in the written form, you know, our, our spoken language. And in that written form, we all know that words can be ambiguous, and a lot of legal concepts are also ambiguous because uh, they want to provide for flexibility. So in contracts, we normally see words like good faith, best efforts, but this are will not be found in a smart contract and cannot be found in a smart contract. Likewise, in a lot of contracts or buy and sale uh, of properties, you. Also have um, you also have uh, warranties uh, and and, uh, and conditions, right? So there again, in a smart contract, you won't have uh, you won't have uh, warranties and conditions. So in a smart contract, with the program written into the contract, they will execute. if the obligations are met and the events are triggered. So the smart contract will be very good, for example, in the sense of um, if it's in a read situation, a smart contract will be very good. You can write in on the various dates that you're supposed to pay dividends that are, that are declared and announced. And a smart contract will execute according to that event. This event will be the announcement of the the announcement of the uh, of of the uh, dividend may be supported by board resolution, and then they will then pay out to all the REITs uh, unit holder. So that's that's uh, a simple illustration of the applicability of a smart contract as opposed to the legal contract. What is also interesting in a smart contract is that a smart contract can use Oracle. Um, this oracle will be a third-party source oracle that can basically affirm and affirm and uh, confirm the conditions that are stated in the in the contract. Whether the event has triggered, so certain things are very uh, um, clear-cut that is that are objective, that are based on. Uh, For example, for insurance contracts, if payment is upon death, then death as confirmed by way of a, uh, by a doctor, by a death certificate, would be the oracle. So smart contract serves this purpose. Then the other thing really we have to bear in mind is uh, the lawyers will ask, is the smart contract a legal contract? I would submit that... uh, a smart contract view from the lens of uh, common law system would be no different from the way contracts can be formed um, under the common law system. So long as there's a meeting of minds, there's intention to create legal relationship, there is consideration. I think these are the premises that you can look upon whether smart contracts are legal. But more importantly because of the rigid nature of a smart contract in defining the parameter and executing very limited and and clear-cut and objective uh, situations, smart contract alone may not be enough for some of the the transactions that are contemplated by the blockchain uh, network. So the proposal that, that... that uh, you find in the literature is to come up with a master agreement where you contextualize, you write in the obligation of the smart contract and you contextualize why these smart contracts are written in and what are the purposes in which it is uh, intended to achieve. The other thing to bear in mind really is that because of the nature of a smart contract, once it's written, the and the programme is there. The execution cannot be stopped unless there is it, there is a safety valve in which you have drafted to allow to allow a halt of the obligation. But generally, you can't stop the obligations from being uh, executed. So what it means is that when you come to this stage, it means that parties have to come back to the negotiating table to negotiate again. And failing that negotiation, it will have to go through the normal uh, alternative dispute resolution modes. Okay, lastly, it's about Lex Cryptographica, which is which is interesting in a way that uh, we now see a lot of things we do in, in the eyes of uh, law, legislation, you know. All or, or that bit that's within the, within the, the rule of law, uh, but going forward with the blockchain framework, with what we have spoken in relation to uh, to smart contracts, it would mean that our reliance on on all this application and the way things are done will come to a point where, which is similar to, for example, right now, where on the internet, you know, there are some codes in which you have to. Comply with if you want to use the internet, and now we have even things like uh, fake news and 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 uh, news about terrorism, hate, which then authorise the uh, the network uh, provider uh, to take certain action. Over time, over time, because of all this development. The rule of code which is what is being codified as the way things are done via all this technology will actually be a very big part of how we interact with each other and they will eventually be merged with the rule of law so uh thank you for your time this is all i have to share today You are now unmuted.
1: Hi, thank you, Prakash. Uh, no, sorry, thank you, uh, Chong uh, We we hear a lot of uh, good insights from uh, Prakash and uh, Chong So right now, uh, without further ado, shall we go on uh, go on the panel discussion? Can can I invite Prakash and uh, Dominic back on onto this onto the chat? Hi everyone. So so let, let us uh, do a bit of discussion uh, uh, and take some questions from the um, from the audience, and then we will also have some some form of a uh, discussion internally. So let's look at the public chat right now. Uh, Elaine has posted a question uh, on whether uh, LXN uh, lumens issued by Stella. Is it is it considered as a form of uh, security or CM product in Singapore? You know, uh, Hwag, can, you, can, you, can you take a look at the question and maybe give a bit of uh, comments from a regulation uh, standpoint?
0: Andy, I suggest that Dominic take this from a technology standpoint. Technology standpoint, sure, sure, sure. Dominic. Because no it's more technology, because it's more protocols and a platform. So I think Dominic will be best suited to answer this one. Yeah, and I, I agree with
2: that because by understanding a technology, right, then the law can give its interpretation.
3: Yeah.
1: Sure, Dominic, please. Thank you.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is quite a quite a famous name in the crypto world, Lumen, uh, Stellar Lumen. Um, but I must confess, I'm not hugely familiar with it. There are obviously an awful lot of um, altcoins. Um, really, the big two, of course, are Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum. Um, Stellar Lumen falls into the altcoin bucket, and there are you know dozens or hundreds of these. But Stellar Lumens is quite a, a big name, relatively speaking, in the altcoin space. So I'm just quickly Googling it and, you know, just getting an overview of their protocol. Um, and forgive me, Liling, could you maybe just reiterate the, the, the question again for me? Is this in terms of uh, treatment, in terms of security token?
1: Is, is, it, is it treated as a security, the form of securities? And yeah. yeah, is it a CM product, basically?
3: Right. Well, I'm looking uh, at the very high level here. So, Estella, it says it was uh, made to support digital representations of any currency, um, and it also has its own built-in token, of course, called the uh, Lumen. So, this sounds very similar to ER, the ERC twenty standard on, on on Ethereum, which is where all of the ICOs, um, you know, were born out of. It became very very easy for for people to create their own token on the Ethereum um, blockchain. This looks very similar. The key word here is currency, though, from a legal point of view, I do think. Um, so I quote, Stella was made to support digital representation of any currency. Um, and I have yet to see anything specifically on any smart contract capability here on Stella Lumen. So um, yeah, without doing a, a much deeper dive, my initial impression is quite possibly no, because you know, currencies are, are not securities. They are currencies, they're quite distinct. Um, you know, asset classes from a regulatory point of view, um, but as soon as a platform starts to offer smart contract capability, um, the you know this the, the smart contract function very often um, can be used. As we are at our SDAX, for example, using the smart contract capability to represent um, traditional securities. So these would be equities and loans, uh, the two biggest classes. So. High level, probably not. But I would probably need to do a deeper dive, I think, to answer more properly. Hopefully, Thank that's helpful. You.
1: Thank you, Dominic. Maybe Please. I'll share a bit of, uh, of of my take as well before before anything else. I, I think um, whether Stella uh, Lumens uh, LXN, whether they are a um, security or not, in my humble opinion, when I when I deal with uh, different governments uh, in in the region my answer to them would be uh, no is not um, then this goes back to a few uh, a few key terms um, that is in the blockchain space actually especially you know when we talk to uh, regulators uh, or the government you know they we, we will just break this down into three dif- different kind of uh, uh, structure first it will be a a, pri- a pay- payment token structure you know so when we talk about payment, you know, it's, it relatively meant payment, of course, and uh, uh, is an exchange. Um, unlike fiat currency like U.S. dollar or Japanese yen, you know, payment tokens are working slightly different. You know, in, in, in different uh, jurisdiction and how the tax is being uh, added on to um, to such a token. Then you look at uh, another class of uh, tokens, which is more utility based where a lot of uh, utility tokens were actually given birth in the 2017 era where there were a lot of ICOs going on. And lastly, like what Prakash has mentioned in his presentation, uh, there will be a security token. So I think if you, if you classify uh, uh, these uh, lumens in that, in, in that aspect, lumen will most likely be fall in, uh, in the category of uh, payment. You know,
3: so so I ho- I hope that answers a, a, a bit of your your query, uh, Elaine. Yeah, um, just a, I managed to drill a little deeper into the developer documentation for lumens and you know the headline is they they speak about currency, but if you look deeper in the documentation, their platform um, speaks in terms of assets, okay, and um, issuing assets, and they quote examples. Um, fiat currency, but also bonds, carbon credits, gold. Gold is obviously would be classed as a commodity. Bonds would most certainly be a security in the in the traditional meaning of the word. So it's quite a broad platform. I think You can't simply say, you know, it's Lumens itself, the token for sure is not a security um, because it is simply a, a, a payment token. But the assets that are deployed on the Lumens protocol could very well be securities. It depends on the specifics of each asset. No, that's, I think, the, the correct answer.
0: I'm looking at the again, uh, the genius call Google. Uh, my understanding from the website seems to be as if, uh, Lumen is a platform, uh, sorry, uh, Stella is a platform, and lumens is a means of doing settlement and clearing. I think uh, that's the purpose of, of Lumen's, from, from judging by this. Uh, sort of view that I'm t- I've seen from, from the website, it's a,
1: yeah. Uh, chung do you have anything to add before we go to another question? I
2: think my colleague has uh, actually replied on the chat. So if you can see Li Ling's uh, uh, response, right? I think this, these are the fundamental uh, type that lawyers use, right? So generally a crypto asset would be considered a form of securities, if, okay, you see features like voting rights in a cop entity, right to some form of economic benefits. So these are some key indicia that we look for. So I think from what we see so far and what we heard so far, I think Lumen uh, doesn't seem to have any of these features. Yeah, yep, you're right.
1: You're right. So uh, let's give the... Uh the, uh, the the public chat and uh, the the rest of the people to come up with some questions. You know, meanwhile, let, let me pose some uh, questions to the panel. You know, um, I I have spoken to a, quite a quite a few uh, government uh, in Asia, especially. Um, they they take on a different stand in terms on how blockchain uh, can really help them, and how blockchain can also help the current COVID situation. You know, some of them took on a more practical approach. Uh, on adopting blockchain uh, in a a smaller manner, while some of them actually took on to look at how they could change their backbone and make blockchain as as one of their key elements. So so my question is this, um, what do you think, in your own personal opinion, blockchain will work best for, for you and for the industry? Uh, prakash maybe you can start first
0: since you mentioned government i thought we stick to the government point and considering the elections are around the corner <laughs> so i suppose one of, the, one of the key functions of blockchain is clearly transparency and the manage and, and you, it's only a matter of time before we see blockchain coming into putting uh, and elections and another the other consideration of course national identity management and this is, again, a very key key consideration in terms of even for our KYC and AML uh, compliance, right? So once there is a national identity via blockchain, it sort of fits into the whole ecosystem in terms of how we are able to comply and how we manage uh, 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 in the whole compliance process. But, uh, look, speaking from an industry perspective, I think there are several considerations for blockchain exp- uh, application. Again, it all comes down to the use cases. Uh, I spoke about real estate uh, again because it's clearly something that is uh, close to our hearts because uh, majority if you look at uh, investment portfolios of most people, uh, real estate forms a certain part of their investment portfolio certainly. And 90% of our billionaires internationally are made rich because of real estate investment. So clearly you see a, a use case where where blockchain can can enable a new product that I've already uh, spoken about in terms of what we can bring to market. Uh, the others would be, you know, uh, along the line of legal, which I think Chongwat will cover very, very, very nicely uh, as to how blockchain is applicable. But, but I think uh, the, was the most experience in terms of uh, how he has seen blockchain evolve
3: over the years, I suppose, will be Dominic. Thank you. Mm. Actually, um, Andy, I I guess your question, uh, you touched on COVID, right? Um, Just part of the topic of this conversation um, on COVID and blockchain. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, I was just reading, as Prakash was speaking, about, I think, something we're probably all quite familiar with. But maybe the connection in my mind hadn't happened until just now, the connection to blockchain. And it is this. uh, We have, of course, the contact tracing apps. And there are two types of apps. There is the centralized app and the decentralized app. So, um, of course, this is not exactly the same as blockchain, but the principles are very, very similar, right? So, blockchain have, is, is is a decentralized um, uh, platform or protocol. That's that's really the heart of it. That's what makes it different to to the systems that have come before it. It's the decentralization, and this is now this is exactly the same concept that we see with the COVID tracking apps. So. Um, in the UK, where I am at the moment, the, the, the government initiative uh, for the centralized app was trialed in one particular remote part of the UK and was a complete failure. Um, from what I've been reading, the centralized app in Singapore, I think, has been, um, the government has taken a view that I think it's in the order of only 20% of people running it, which is very interesting. Um comes to trust, it comes to um, the points that have been mentioned before. Um, These are core blockchain concepts now. In the case of COVID tracking, it is not literally blockchain, but the underlying tenets are exactly the same. It's trust and it's decentralization. So we see on the the COVID tracking um, side of things, uh, and if you look at who is promoting the decentralized model, it's very, very interesting. In COVID, it is of course Apple and Google. So, you know, we have to be pragmatic and consider you know who do we think can get technology right um is it going to be centralized government or is it going to be apple and google my money is is on apple and google i think they have the right approach and i think the decentralized model is absolutely the way to go for the same reasons that it's the way to go in in in, in, in blockchain space in the money space um so yeah that, that was just a connection that just occurred uh, in my in my mind just just as we were uh, having this conversation, actually, specifically about COVID and, and uh, the interface there with blockchain, but um, there are other bits that we could we could talk about. That for, how COVID has impacted technology more widely. I think it's quite common. It's, it's quite common sense. So it's quite obvious how COVID has exposed a whole new way of working. Um, again, we can say decentralized. Right? We're not coming to 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 offices um, anywhere near as frequently as we were before. So, our physical working patterns are, are effectively decentralized as well. Uh, yeah, I could talk quite a bit about this, but maybe uh, uh, food for thought for some of the other analysts or uh, members of the audience.
1: Chungpaq, what, what about you? What do you think would be the uh, best suited um, industry you know, for blockchain uh, adoption and implementation?
0: I think if you look
2: at the key feature of blockchain, right? So really, it's about the the data, how best you can you can you can manage, store, and even exploit that data. And uh, the the I think that if the business is reliant on legendary uh, ways of doing things, right? I think blockchain will be even even more uh, more suited. One example is a trade trade finance. I think trade finance uh, is an area that blockchain is very uh, suited because we're talking about trust between two parties that is now not on the person's credit anymore. It's now, apart from the credit of the banks and all that, you now get the blockchain and you get documents on the blockchain, you get the contacts and you get the auxiliary documents all on the blockchain. So... You ask me. This is one example of how and what industry uh, blockchain would uh, play a very big big role. And one example is also banking. Look at banking. I think the banking is the one that is very quickly being uh, disintermediated, and a lot of banks were crying foul for one time because we have all the small players dishing out microfinance without bank license, no compliance, no a- no AML, but they
0: make their money. Yeah. Andy, just, just to add on to what I just said, I forgot, I, I, I missed out on one point which you mentioned is the covid uh, 19's relevance. So yes, yes, indeed, uh, uh, lower interest rate and higher levels of uh, liquidity will, will certainly drive the demand for yield type of products of this then They're really buyers for that. And also asset owners hit by the economic impact of COVID-19 will start to seek and rationalize their portfolio. So, in my view, COVID nineteen has basically we will 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 try will basically accelerate uh, the adoption of uh, digital and contactless solutions. Uh, and this will definitely increase the pace for, for what we call uh, blockchain adoption.
1: Totally agree with you. Yeah, uh, I think in, in terms of uh, what what everyone has just uh, just mentioned, um, COVID indeed uh, brought a lot of uncertainty to us, but also at the same time, I do realize that there's a lot of new adoption that has been accelerated uh, very much. One key key area would, of course, be uh, in terms of uh, trading, in terms of uh, cryptocurrency, trading in terms of finance product. But the other one would be something that is a lot more stable, would be their involvement into uh, real estate classes. Um, I I do see that there are more inquiries and more more, uh, government actually are looking at how... Uh, Digital tokenization of a property could be something that would come up next very strongly in uh, 2021, uh, 2021. Um Maybe maybe uh, you know blockchain and uh, STOs uh, related uh, companies will excel a lot better. You know in 2021. So so um, I don't I didn't I didn't see too too many questions uh, on, on on the public chat. So feel free to ask us uh, any question uh, while while we carry on our, our discussion here. Um, maybe maybe the next question. Let, let me pose this. Um, I I'm very active on uh, Twitter and uh, talking to uh, quite a few uh, uh, big names like uh, CZ, uh, Jason Malenclis, uh who is a very known uh, VC in in the in, in in the space where where he. Uh, Invested in uh, Uber in the very early days as one of the investors. So yesterday in one of our conversation, he has mentioned that over ninety nine percent of the blockchain companies right now currently they are all garbage, you know. And and of course, uh, you know, we, we do have a different views in terms of how how how, how we classify, uh, you know, some of these uh, blockchain companies. Do do you, Dominic, think that? 99% of those companies are garbage right
3: now? And what do you think is, is, is the good thing, man? Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, well, you know, a, a lot of them are not even companies, right? Um, in, in, in the blockchain world, uh, we have the DAO, the decentralized organization. Well, yeah. <laughs> so again, coming back to this is the core of it all. It's the decentralization. It's the lack of a central authority Okay, so in a traditional organization, we have a pyramid scheme, we have a CEO at the top and board of directors, and it's an extremely hierarchical structure. Um, evolved over hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, right, of of, kind of human cooperation, and then all of a sudden comes along a completely disruptive model that says, hey, you know, we're going to, again, work remotely, we're not going to create a completely flat organization, it's not even going to be an organization, it's going to be a leaderless organization, so... Yes, I mean, a lot of these things, uh, whatever you want to call them, um, uh, let's say, well, they're not orientated to succeed commercially. In fact, a lot of them would say, hey, you know, if you, if, well, number one, we don't even know who invented Bitcoin. Just think about that. We don't know who the guy is. Now, in what other industry, in what other line of business would somebody invent something as big as Bitcoin and then not even say who he is? So this is a very weird world that we're in. Um <laughs> Uh, so, you know, Bitcoin was never intended to be a for-profit organization. We've got to recognize this. So the foundation of a lot, so I kind of agree, yeah, 99 out of 100 crypto projects, we can call them. Let's call them crypto projects. That's an agnostic term. It could mean, you know, some of them are clearly for-profit. A lot of them want to be for-profit. Um, and But I think that's in common to any industry segment. Uh, you know, if you go to any, any you go to the software, to start a business. 99 out of 100 startups will fail or 95 out of 100 will fail that's the condition of being a startup right so don't think it's so specific to crypto but i agree in principle i definitely agree most early stage ventures do fail that's just a statistical fact yeah
1: what about chong do you have any views
2: on this Um, no no views on this for me
0: (laughs) Prakash, Anything to add? I think I think Dom has said it all. But nothing much to add to that.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. I think I think um, the, the the point is this: um, why I brought this up is because um, there are a lot of new blockchain companies or projects that are in Singapore. Some of them may not even have a company or any proper legal structure. You know, so. Um, you know, some of them, or like myself, I do classify them as good ideas, but like what Jason, my friend, has mentioned, you know, is is still garbage in some ways because there's no way for them to scale up. And if they are going after the decentralized modeling, um, that means there will be a lot of problems downstream. So it goes back to the, 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 the legal aspects of things, right, Dominic?
3: I think it really depends on our viewpoint too, like from a, from a VC's viewpoint, who is really there to invest money and make money in a commercial enterprise, many of these things may be viewed as garbage because they are never going to return money to him. So from his perspective, they are garbage, right? I remember what Warren Buffett is famous for saying about Bitcoin, he calling it the rat poison squared or something, it's, it's terrible stuff, it's, it's, it's just worse than the derivatives, it's worse than gold, he's not, he's not big on gold either. Um, that's because from his perspective, his mentality, you know, Warren Buffett is a value investor. He wants assets that are going to return him productive assets, right? So his big example is farmland. For him, farmland is the ultimate asset. You own the land, the land can produce for you. And if they, if the asset, for him, for his mentality, if the asset doesn't produce, it is worthless. It's, uh, so I think it really depends on your, but on your viewpoint, um, but for, you know, everyone who is using Bitcoin to, to make transactions. I met a friend yesterday who um, uh, was quite early into Bitcoin, uh, luckily for him, but, you know, he, for, for, for him, you know, his day-to-day, you know, let's say, is when he finds another company that accepts Bitcoin as a means of payment, he's a very happy guy. And he was telling me he found a computer supplier, very famous computer supplier. They've been in business for 30 or 40 years in the UK, very good brand. Um, equivalent to say Challenger or something in, in in Singapore. These guys are accepting Bitcoin. He's a very happy guy. So from, from his point of view, would you say Bitcoin is useless? Hell no. He can buy his computers with it. Um, so I think it really depends on your viewpoint. What what are you trying to get out of it? You know, from a VC's point of view, definitely a lot of these projects are are not investment opportunities, not not good investment opportunities. But from a techies point of view like me, wow, well, a lot of these projects are just fun, fascinating project, right? Um, so, what is your viewpoint? What are you? What's your criteria? We have got to ask that question. I, I think it goes, it goes back
1: to the commercial aspects of things. You know, if you, if you, if you uh, put uh, Bitcoin aside, you know, we just look at the blockchain element uh, in terms of how the the concepts can go into real world uh, scenario. Um, I think perhaps maybe really ninety nine percent of them do not do not, you know, really go very well with the uh, uh, with the real world because a lot of things mm. dependent on uh, scalability, a lot of things depend dependent on the, the network that is around. But if you come back to the point yeah. of uh, Warren, you know, mentioned about uh, his views on Bitcoin, you know, um, mm. I, think, I, think, I think Bitcoin is a totally different animal. You know, if one day Satoshi were to be found, I think Bitcoin's value would drop to almost nothing because, you know, it's, it's, it's just a marketing scheme in some ways. But if you look at the, the payment aspects of things, you know, PayPal initially mentioned that uh, uh, cryptocurrency or, or Bitcoin is not actually a thing, you know. But now, just uh, last week or so, they, they announced that they, PayPal, and uh, their subsidiary, will look into using uh, Bitcoin and maybe some other cryptocurrency as one of the uh, as one of the, mm. the, the the currency, you know, for for their payment. So I, I think. With that, there will be a lot more adoption, and there will be a lot more um, uh, vendors. You know, like your friend. You know, uh, vendors, uh, vendors joining into this um, this uh, uh, cryptocurrency family to enable them mm. to transact. You know, so just another uh, uh, quick update. You know, yesterday I I had a chat with the uh, South Korean uh, uh, Tech Association. Right now. There are about 16,000 ATMs in uh, South Korea that allow you to use cryptocurrency as a form of uh, a withdrawal. You know, so, Tron, TRX is one of them who are on their network right now. So, I, I do hope to see more of this um, coming, into, coming into place. So, let's look at the... Uh, Prakash, do you have something to say?
0: Yeah, so so coming to the point about uh, the extensive use of cryptocurrencies and you know you you look at some of these crypto exchanges you know recently we had, um, had a discussion with uh, uh, the guys from one of the largest uh, crypto exchanges in the world op and they tell us that the single day trading volume is in the region of minimum 1.65 billion dollars that's a single day trading volume and that's you know huge this market is and you know it's, it's just a matter of some of these uh, overnight millionaires now moving their interest to other areas you know and they will ne- need to liquidate you know they will need to change their, their, their cryptocurrencies to something that's more tangible so, or, or some, something where they would actually you know buy on shares or, or interest in other sort of asset classes. so it is bound to happen and we expect that to happen really very soon.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you. So we, we have some questions from the floor uh, by uh, Vincent Chen. Uh, his question is in health in the healthcare industry, what would be the main driver to, to adopt blockchain? Who will be that driver? Is it the government, the medical companies or the public? In in your own opinions uh, panelists. Who who would like to take on the question first?
2: Okay, so maybe I take on this question because in my slide earlier, I talked about healthcare. Uh, maybe I rushed it. Uh, I think in the healthcare in, uh, industry right now, um, many features of the blockchain technology is actually very well suited. I think one of them really is about the nature of how the information is kept, the security of it, and also how this uh, information can be shared. Uh all in all, I think the biggest threat to this information is cybersecurity. So the nature of the security of the information and the way the blockchain technology is, that actually averts cybersecurity risk. That's one thing. The other thing really is that in relation to the ability to access this information, you talk about public and the private key and all that. These are also arrangements that can be ad- adopted for telemedicine, teleconsulting. So I can see the pieces uh, falling in place for the healthcare industry. And the other thing which I think is even greater really is if you go down to the supply chain, right, I think medicine and health products are heavily regulated. So if we can put a blockchain on it and we put the smart contract on it because of the specificity and the objectivity of all this all these things, right? The smart contracts application is really very suitable.
1: Totally agree with you, uh, Chowod. Uh, Dominic, do you have some some points to share as well?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think very simply, uh, I, I think driver for this will come from the people, from the public. Um, I don't think it will come from government. And uh, I think ex- exactly, per my previous example, we've seen exactly this with the COVID tracking. Um, Government's instinct is to centralise, they can't help it, they are a central organisation by definition, that's what they are. Um, uh, both the Singapore and the UK government had exactly the same instinct, which was, hey, we'll build the app, we'll centralise the data. Um, and you know, th- th- this, is, um, this is not what we want. This is why only 20% of people run the app in Singapore, it's why not even get to 2% in the UK before the whole project was abandoned. You look at again how Google and uh, Apple are approaching the problem. They get this; they understand the. um, Some problems are just inherently better in a decentralized way. But I agree, from a from a from a data privacy point of view, medical data um, uh, should be in the hands of um, the people who own the data, that is us, the public, not corporations and not governments. So that's my. That's my kind of philosophical view on it. I think it'll be driven by 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 the public more than anything. That's
1: true, uh, Prakash.
0: Nothing from Egypt.
1: Okay, so so maybe I I, I share my, my view from uh, from from uh, from these three different uh, uh driver. You know, first of all, I think I think uh, when we talk about blockchain, we got to be a lot more specific. You know, so. Um, for the healthcare industry, what is the government driving uh, uh, towards? I think they can use blockchain as a form of uh, uh, to, of security to secure your data and to secure their system. You know, so I think they will adopt blockchain in that manner. As for medical companies, because there's purely a, it's, it's purely a, a transactional profit-driven uh, 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 main main motive, right? So. Medical companies, most of the time, you know, based on what I see in the last three years, uh, and also like what Chong has mentioned, they look at how they can trace their medical products and how they can trace their medical supply. Uh, from there, you know that that will um, that will help their business. And and like Dominic has mentioned, you know, I think uh, healthcare data should be something that uh, owned by the patient and by the patient only. And 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 I think we, we should stick to that point of um, having having our data placed in a blockchain or maybe placed in a more public blockchain where it's secured by keys that we know only and giving access to uh, doctors or, or medical uh, 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 facilities when uh, when when needed temporarily. So I think. The the driver is not so straightforward as in you know one 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 strategy fits all, and and that that, that should that should be how people look at uh, the adoption of uh, blockchain technology. So, next, next question we have in uh, on the floor would be by Barry. Um, people are still confused with the technology and the the case for DLT versus blockchain you know, uh, and versus Bitcoin. Um, Dominic, do you think you can share with us the difference between dlt uh, decentralized ledger, versus a blockchain and versus a Bitcoin?
3: Uh, well, you know, th- th- there you go, right? You you said decentralized ledger. In my mind, I always had it as digital ledger technology. It really depends on on, on your terminology, on, um, on how we're defining things. I mean, Decentralized ledger and blockchain, I think, are almost synonymous on, on many levels. I mean, I suppose a DLT um, would not necessarily need to be in the form of a blockchain, but pretty much all of them are, right? So a blockchain is obviously the addition of blocks to a to a decentralized um, uh, chain of blocks, hence blockchain. Um, and, and that by itself is a, a ledger. Um, uh, and then, of course, with things like Ethereum, we have the capability to build a ledger within a ledger. So this is smart contract capability. Um, and uh, and Bitcoin itself, you know, people use the word just to mean money, right? So um, when I so have you a Bitcoin, or have you bought any Bitcoin? Have you invested in Bitcoin? They simply mean to say, have you have you bought any of this currency or commodity? Uh, from an investment or a kind of monetary point of view, so these are the how the words I think are are best viewed. Blockchain is 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 the underlying protocol that Bitcoin invented. It enabled Bitcoin to be used as a means of payment. So that's Bitcoin using it as the, simply to mean money. Blockchain is the underlying protocol, and a DLT. We should probably visit, if we call decentralized ledger, we should say well, uh, you know. The the Bitcoin ledger is one example of that, but then things like Ethereum and other smart contract platforms let us build other types of ledger on top of itself. Okay, so it expands out. So in simple terms, I think Bitcoin we can consider money. Um, blockchain is the protocol, and the DLT is we get into things like uh, you know tokens, ICOs, and the security token space.
1: Thank you. Um... We we still have uh, we still have time, so let, let's have uh, some 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 other uh, questions. Um, there's um, there's um, a few other questions on the floor, but uh, before 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 I go, go into that, maybe we talk about something uh, a, a bit more um, uh, a bit more generic, but of course pertaining to a blockchain. Um, there are a lot of people who 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 talk about the concept of uh, total decentralization. You know, which means um, no government, no bank, you know, no nothing kind of uh, kind of uh, movement, you know. But to me, I always t- you know talk about the word re decentralized because the word decentralization has evolved and changed very much, you know, in, in the in the recent times. Um, so, putting the question to the floor is how do you all, how do you see decentralization? and do you really think that total decentralization is the way to move forward as some of these tech futurists has mentioned in many different articles
3: it's a very deep question
1: <laughs> i think i think we will, we will put convert the deep question into something more, more mm. practical you know like 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 a, like a like a discussion because The word decentralization has really evolved into a very extreme uh, cases when you talk to uh, purist uh, tech guys who are looking at that technology, you know, versus business people like like us, you know.
3: Mm. Well, I can speak from an engineering and technology strict point of view is that, you know, there are are very um, unavoidable... Math, you know, almost mathematically true trade-offs that you have to make when you are moving from a centralized system to decentralized or vice-versa, right? Um, centralized systems are typically more fault tolerant. Okay, this is the whole uh, uncensorable nature of Bitcoin. So no central authority can come and just turn off Bitcoin. It doesn't work like that. There's no single point of failure. It's very common sense. If something is dis- distributed over many, many nodes, Clearly, it's more fault tolerant. That's the gain. On the downside, it's going to be slow. Right? It's gonna be slow in its throughput um, because every single node has to has to receive the data, process the data, and all the nodes have to agree with each other periodically. That's what the new blocks are all about. Right? So, um, these are fundamental trade-offs from an engineering point of view. That, that's all I can you know say. Let, let, let's look at it on that level. But your question was, you know, (laughs) a bit more philosophical, really, was, you know, I mean, in terms of why do we operate our societies in a centralized way? Well, there are some very good reasons for that. You know, we look at the top of hierarchical pyramids. If we look at the examples of very good governance, um, you know, we are, we talk a lot about these things for a very good reason, because if we have good people leading us, in general, we can go in a good direction and get good things done. Um... And then, you know, there's, there's a reason. There's a reason we have leadership, and there's a reason we have structure. And I think you know, that, that that doesn't change. Um, uh, but, but you know, as we develop more and more capable technological systems, yeah, there are some there are some reasons sometimes to distribute things and to decentralize things. Um, But it is not, you know, a kind of go-to option that we always must decentralize. No, it doesn't make any sense at all to think in very binary terms like that. That makes no sense. So I would come back again to the, I think it's common sense, look at it from an engineering point of view. Sure, you can do things decentralized, you'll gain on these metrics, but you'll lose on these other ones. So you've got to make a decision. There is no silver bullet to, to win on both fronts at the same time.
1: I agree um, Chunghwa, do you have any views on a decentralization? What, what, what's your take from a law perspective?
2: Okay, from the law perspective, I take the pragmatic view. I think the law is always behind developments. Okay? So I think the law is playing catch-up. So as you can see from the MAS way of uh, approaching the regulation, I think MAS is really on the Definitely, the, the the better side of regulating uh, blockchain. In fact, I think they are progressive compared to many other jurisdiction. Um, I would I would think that uh, pragmatism would come to adopt the right technology that will work, whether in commerce or whether in in government. So. And then, because I like we say, you know, blockchain really is about economic activity. So the, the 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 driving force behind this will make it make it work. And I think then the regulation and the law will then will then come to support what uh, we want to achieve via the uh, blockchain network. One example is in all the things that we have spoken about, right? Uh, security, uh, digital, uh, digital asset tokenization. If you look at the whole, whole uh, value chain, um, apart from the technology, apart from the smart contract, there are still the traditional framework of corporate finance. There's a traditional framework in which how greats, uh, units are sold or a property company shares are sold. All this old form of traditional finance must merge with the new must adapt and merge with the new technology and then make room for the improvement so in this case right now all the I believe all the traditional documents will now have to make room for consideration and one of the biggest challenge I think for the smart contract uh, application within the blockchain uh, network really is this consensus uh, theory because in a lot of this securities transaction, you have a group of people who have committed their obligation based on a certain set of parameters. And when you want to change these parameters, you need to go back to this group of people. You know, there has to be a mechanism whereby this mechanism has to work and work in a very fast way. And I think there are a lot of issues, here. you know, it's about the down to down to communication, down to how to notify the rights, you know, how to make sure that this is something that the changes to the to the terms will now be enforceable and recognized by law and how the regulator will look at this as well. So it's um, it's a whole it's a whole uh, value chain and evolution. But one thing I, I believe is that um, just like ourselves thirty years ago, when we look at internet, right? We never knew the possibilities of internet. But I think this is what it is. It is thirty years down the road, and uh, all these things that we are talking about. I hope the audience will take to heart that. Uh, I think things would develop even much faster.
1: Totally agree with you. Um, let's look at uh, one or two more questions from the floor. We have one from uh, Moon Yu. Um The question is this, I, I think we need to clearly separate the enabling aspects of technology to the exploitation of, of it for the right or wrong causes, uh, right cases. Um, given the problems confronting the world today, uh, from decentralization, uh, increasing protectionism, unequal access to finance. Uh, the question is uh, uh, how the technology can be leveraged to reverse some of these negative trends for the common group? Um, Prakash, do you have some, some, some uh, insights to share on that? Thank you.
0: Trying to digest the question first. Will give me a second.
1: It's like how, how the technology can be leveraged. Um, maybe technology like blockchain, uh, maybe even IoT, AI can be leveraged to reverse some of this negative trend that's in that, that's in the market.
0: Maybe I can
2: take oh. this question on. Sorry, Pagash.
0: Yeah. So so you know, as I, as I mentioned in uh, my presentation earlier, if you look. You take Bitcoin as an example. Why Bitcoin becomes so such a hit is because people, you know, and, and it happened straight after uh, the stock prices in 2007, 2008. largely because people completely lost their faith in currency, lost their faith in individuals and governments and the way they manage currencies, which is why they wanted to go into Bitcoin, which was managed by technology, which was managed by algorithms, you know, and it was in the hands of technology, you see, that creates a certain level of independence and no central control. And and, and that's the purest form of blockchain. And, and this is, again, going back to the earlier question which you posed. Which this, again, it, it, it all ties in one thing, you know. Um, again, it's a process of evolution, right? whilst we want to make sure that we still manage some control over over the whole process you know by putting in place govern governance putting in free some sort of corporate, fin, uh, corporate uh, uh, uh what you call uh, compliance right but eventually all this has to be overtaken by technology it has to be a case where there is no you know because otherwise you know, when you have somebody centrally controlling this, uh, there will be vested interests, hmm. right? And we want to avoid that situation, right? And, and and that that I believe will be will be what we will see in the future.
1: You got a good response, uh, what You have something to add just now?
0: Yeah, so very quickly. I just wanted to answer
2: uh, Yuman because I think he seems to be asking from from uh, not the commercial perspective, but more for 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 for. Doing good, you know, uh, and also to 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 actually allay uh, some things that I think we all know is negative, like globalization, rich-poor divide, protectionism, unequal access to finance, and all that. So I think what okay, what we are talking right now is concepts that are being applied. Um, first, we're talking about voting. Uh, Blockchain has been applied for voting um, in Thailand as well. So, why why blockchain is good? Because with that with the blockchain technology, really you can you can uh, have an audit trail about the votes, and you can also identify the right people voting. So, voting is one example. The next thing in uh, in the South American countries, um, blockchain has been applied uh, towards procurement, so that you minimize uh, uh, corruption. Next thing is um, on sustainability. Um, there are many things happening. Uh, one of the things really that uh, we also involve, we uh, together with Air Carbon Exchange. Um, we are their shareholders. is a very good company. What this company has done really is that is providing a, a platform for the trading of air carbon via blockchain that will give uh, price disclosure and that will also avoid uh, corruption or. Unfair dealing. So, some examples over there. Uh, unequal access to finance. Yes, because a lot of people don't have and don't have uh, even identity and um, and all that. So, with blockchain, with microfinancing, uh, this is also becoming a reality. And one example is in uh, Indonesia. So, these are some examples that blockchain is being being applied uh, right now, as as we speak here. So I hope that's good enough
3: for Manu.
1: Thanks a lot. Um, Dominic, you have something to add?
3: Uh, no, I think I think you guys have, have covered it very well. I mean, j- just in general terms, I mean, I'm a, again, big believer that, you know, technology is just a tool that we employ. Blockchain is just one particular technology. And just some examples that come to mind recently, you know, um, we see all the disturbances of social unrest, for example, in, in the States. But, of course, not, not, not just there, but this is the most recent one. And we see how, you know, we all carry around with us on our phones this incredible capability that even 10 years ago would have been, sounded like complete magic, if you think about it. You can broadcast to everyone in the world at the speed of light, completely for free, whatever you want, whenever you want. It's absolutely incredible. And we see this, we see public reaction, we see bad things happening, bad people... Uh, people broadcasting, maybe, we see the complete change of, of how media and communications are are, are happening. You know, everyone is getting their news from Facebook and Twitter, which 10 years ago didn't, didn't happen. We see elections completely derailed as a result of this around the world. So but at the same time, you know, hey, if we didn't have the phone camera, would we even be aware when the police did something wrong and it wasn't being, you know, so it's just a tool that can be used. For good and for bad, I think ultimately this blockchain will be the same. It is the same. you know. We have to put the good into it. Let's put it like that. I think you know. there's no magic technology that's just good. No. I think it's just a tool and we have to use it in the right way for good. Yeah.
1: Correct. This apply for all kinds of technology, not only for blockchain. Um, I think we, we have uh, uh, almost reached the end of the, of the session. Can we have uh, each p- uh, panelist to have uh, some share some final words with the, with the audience uh, audiences today. Uh, Prakash, can you start first?
0: Sure. I think it was a very fairly interesting discussion. The idea why uh, we are doing this is because I think there's a great need for us to be out there educating the market on the merits of blockchain, uh, the merits of how people are able to see uh, use cases coming in to, to help you know, not just from a commercial standpoint, but there is also uh, a societal uh, common good that we can do, which which blockchain can help. And there's something that's a separate discussion altogether, which Chongwat sort of alluded to. You know, and and, and 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 there's so many, so much more that we can do. That uh, that I think we would want to see more of these, um, you know, seminars. Being started, uh, you know, basically to be out there and educating the market. And when we really see, I mean, if you look at it from uh, the topic of discussion today, at least what I spoke about on real estate organization, if, um, if eventually we see uh, a lot of these exchanges coming up, uh, uh, it will be good for, for the public at large. For now, for now you look at the, the, the qualifying uh, criteria for, for anyone who wants to invest in one of these exchanges, uh, it is only open to accredited investors. Uh, But we, you know, with with a stronger education out in the market, we'll eventually see, you know, a lot more uh, retail investors coming on board. Once there's a lot more protection, once there's a lot more uh, compliance and surrounding, again, this is an evolution phase. Uh, There's always a start point and it's great that we are starting right now and and there's a lot of uh, government drive and uh, regulatory uh, input, you know, especially in, in terms of how... Uh, you know, it's always important to, to always put innovation before uh, a, a regulation, and that's something that we 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 are very very fortunate to have. Uh, you know, MS, you know, taking the lead on that. Yeah.
3: Thank you, uh,
1: Dominic.
3: Um, no, I mean, I've, I've I've really enjoyed the the discussion. Actually, it's been it's been good. Um, uh, hopefully, very helpful to to, to, to people listening. It's, it's actually been helpful for me, and just in in. Uh, understanding some some ideas in, in in my mind a bit more fully, so I've enjoyed it. Um, so thank you. Thank you,
1: John. Uh,
2: okay, so maybe I end with three points that I have in mind. So one is on speed. Okay, I think if you look at uh, what you've seen in history, uh, I saw from uh, what Elaine said, right, that uh, during the financial crisis, okay. Uh, Bitcoin came, came, to, came to life, right? Because people were fed up with the financial systems. Likewise, right now, we can see Libra Association coming up. We see a lot of nations now wanting to have their own digital currency because they feel that the international financial order is lopsided. So the trending is such that, and with the advent of uh, blockchain at this point in time, I think the trending is there. Um, to make blockchain an unstoppable force, next thing is the extent. I think the extent itself will also be great because of, of the reason. Some of the uh, some of the um, geopolitical factor that uh, that we all know. Right now, we know for sure that China is intensifying its DCEP because China wants to have their own own uh, financial. Uh, system that can be more entrenched, that can be um, aligned with the international financial order. So steps are being taken at a huge pace, you know, in in China, uh, as we speak right now. And you asked me, then the other thing about the extent is really about the applicability of this technology, which is one example on, on centralization. There are things that the government we want to use blockchain for, because it's just a more superior technology. For example, traffic fines, right? If you have a blockchain, you have Oracle, you have a smart contract, you have Oracle. It's very easy to determine who has breached the law. And once it's breached, send a, send a ticket, you, you cut out corruption. So there are many areas in which I believe that blockchain will be adopted. Including the voting process. Today, if you have blockchain in a voting process, then even in COVID, there's nothing to worry about, right? Correct. You just scan and that's it. So this is one example of the of, of how things will evolve. And largely here. I believe that um, the, the, the legal framework will be adopted to support the technology as we have seen in the past. And this this change will also embrace some of the technology with, uh, with possible with positive de- development into forms like for I think uh, you would have what we call customized forms or even stand standard rules maybe in relation to some smart contracts so then you can simply just put this contract you know in the various sector for whatever activity into the smart contract. And that would be a model clause or model contractual terms. So these are the evolution that I see. And ultimately, I think um, for resolution of disputes, right, I do think that it will also come in play uh, into play because some matters are better resolved by oracles that are not not uh, hu- humanly motivated. So that, that, that's why I think will be the, the last bit on the legal changes.
1: Um, I agree. Thank you, yeah. So, so let, let me let me summarize a bit I think um, uh, all the panelists has, uh, have given very good insights uh, on the topic uh, for for the new technology blockchain I, I do believe that uh, you know key powers uh, or key uh, blockchain adopters will be in the ASEAN block and also uh, the very strong push in in China you know for DCEP, and their latest uh, initiative, which is the blockchain network service, uh, which which is uh, trying to connect um, uh, uh, on a national level using blockchain, would be a very big force for blockchain to grow. Um, lastly, I want to mention this. Um, I, I think in the blockchain uh, industry, you know, we need a lot of uh, good people uh, gathering in in this uh, in this industry. If we have a lot more good people who are experienced, talk a good sense, um, that would help to drive the technology forward. So ultimately, I think my my point is this. um, The key thing that we are building right now is a new value of trust that is only provided to us um, most recently and and more acceptable most recently uh, with the use of uh, blockchain. And the the future of uh, blockchain uh, really depends on on us and how we want to implement this. So, thank you uh, uh, everyone for, for being here. Thank you panelists uh, for the insightful discussion. Um, we, we, we we hope you learned something today with our our inputs and our uh, knowledge sharing uh, process. We look forward to uh, seeing you in our future events. Um, there are a lot of other uh, events, uh, online events that uh, Kaba China, ASEAN Business Alliance will be uh, pushing out to to everybody, uh, sharing knowledge again. So this is the event calendar for 2020, uh, driven by the uh, uh, the Kaba team. Thank you. Stay healthy. Thank you, Andy. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.